Where do I want to go? The beach. Swimming. Shower. The bathroom. Shower. Applebee's. Hot air balloon. Doing a bunch of backflips. The Pacific Ocean. Where we went on our first date back to Chipotle. Get her the same quesadilla that she got the first time. I gotta go. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna get cut out of the team. I feel like God is calling me to go to new places to like see how other people live out of Texas. Oklahoma. Arkansas. New Orleans. Road trip. Orlando. Florida's fun. Miami. California. Grand Canyon. Camden Yards. To the mountains in Alaska. Disneyland. <laughs> New York City. I was born in Hawaii and I want to make it back there one day. I want to go to heaven. I want my ashes spread in Colorado. I'm going to go to the Bahamas. Spain. Or Greece. England. Battlefield Tower. France. Germany. New Zealand. Sweden. Peru, maybe. Brazil. Ecuador. Africa. To India. Australia. To Italy. Cosmo, Mexico. I like Italian. I don't like Mexican food. The Batcave. Hogwarts. The moon. Saturn. Mars. Earth. After I finish high school, I want to go to college. A&M. Damon at Boston. UTA. UNT. TCU. The Air Force Academy. Get a good education. Journalism. Engineering. Marine biologist. Doctoral degree in Broadway. Teacher. Dentist. Author. The law enforcement. The U.S. Marshal. To the Olympics. Go into ministry. I'm going to United Mission work really hard in different charities. With Mission Arlington, YWCA, Picnic Tables, the Homeless and Unity Park, Safe Haven, Women's Shelter, Making Food Here in the Kitchen, to Salvation Army, Life Point, Young Adults that Have Autism. We're here at the Ronald McDonald House helping kids who are sick. You're here with your mom. people. Where do I want to go next? I just want to do more. Take what I've learned here. Where I can be happy with God. Giving of myself. That's where I want to go in life. Use dance to touch people's lives. It's about the journey. Forward. That's where I want to go. Throughout my whole life. That's all I'm looking for. At the end of the week, I love my kids a lot. So tomorrow. Or the next day. After this week is over. Three weeks from now. Hopefully next year we can come back and do this again. Continue what we've been doing. God has called us to help more people. Not just yourself. Let them know that someone cares about their happiness. If you are shy or afraid to go, have the courage to start. Taking initiative. Motivating each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ. To get past a new obstacle. Doing something that has meaning. And finishing it. Even if you're in a wheelchair, can't really speak, you still have wonderful things ahead of you. Because it's better to reach out to all of our neighbors in Mansfield, Texas. Whether that's something small or something big, just help them. Make other people happy. It makes everybody else want to jump in and help. Get something done. So when you say you're going to go do something, it's almost like a promise to drop what you're doing and begin. Take the next step. Cannot wait. You'll regret wasting your time. Like there's so much you can do, but go to school, go to work. Not just sit around. You have to go help people. Get off their butt. To be productive and do something important. Go accomplish something. Go out live. Never stop. It's your time to go. And to love God, love others, and serve the world. Just give it your all and go. Amen. Don't we have great kids? We have some amazing, ambitious kids. So great to
to see what they did this week in United Mission Week. Uh, I know we have some who are here today, some who are upstairs in the Well Cafe. If you were a part of Mission Week in any way, would you just raise your hand so we can celebrate you and thank you for your service. That's awesome. That is awesome. On uh, Thursday night, they had their closing worship service in the sanctuary, and we had a candle for every single person who was connected with United Mission Week, which meant that we had 284, I think, candles uh, in our sanctuary, and the sanctuary is still there. We didn't burn it down. It kind of looked like maybe, (laughs) but uh, amazing, amazing week. Thank you to our kids. Um, So neat to see them becoming the people of God they have been called to be, and that's really what we see when we hear uh, their ambition when we see them in service and all that they did, we see them becoming uh, the people that God has called them to be. Uh, my name is David, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you for those who are here in the well, those who are upstairs in the well cafe, especially if you're a visitor, a guest in either one of those venues. We're so glad to have you today. I would love to answer any questions you have about the life of our church. If we can serve or bless you in any way, you can go to the connecting point right outside your worship space. Uh, at the conclusion of worship. Today we're going to continue a series we started last week called Faith in Hard Times, and we're looking at the book of Habakkuk. Now, most of you probably didn't even know there was a book called Habakkuk, but it is in the Bible. Uh, If you want to turn there, uh, in the the blue Bible that's uh, in the seat in front of you or upstairs, there's some up there for you as well. You'll see the page number that we're going to be. If you have your own Bible and you need to look in the table of contents, don't be embarrassed by that. I have to do that too. It's after the book of Nahum, if that helps you out at all. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And let me just kind of reset a few things for you as you find that, if, if, you would have, if you missed last week. I started last week with the idea that I think we all kind of intellectually understand the idea that life, all of our lives include hard times. But for some people, you know the reality of that because of what you may be going through right now or maybe a season of life that you have just come through. You've walked through a very difficult, a very, a very hard time. And, and it's a little different when you think about it that way. Some of you may be thinking, well, this is perfect timing for me because this is right where I am in my life right now. After one of our services last week, I was visiting with someone who shared that sentiment with me. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And he said, well, I work for Bluebell. Now, I thought that was like put your own problems into perspective moment because maybe like me, you're thinking, I'm going through a real hard time right now. There's no bluebell. Like you walk through the grocery store and you pass that aisle and there's like this moment of depression, like it's still not there. But it's a whole different experience, right, when you think about the people who work for that company and what they're going through uh, as Bluebell's uh, kind of getting through what, they're, what they have been walking through. And, and we celebrate those who see that, okay, maybe they're on their way out of it. But again, for the people whose lives depend on that, it's a totally different experience. It's a really hard and difficult time. But we also said last week that for some of you, that may not be where you are at all. I mean, life may be just awesome right now. It may be sunshine and roses. And if that's where you are, I think we all have that temptation just to believe if things are going great, they're always going to go great. Like, that's just where we get to when things are going well in our life. And so there may be some of you that think, man, I can take the next five weeks off. This is great because everything is just wonderful in my life. But, and so I wanted to rally around just a very simple idea. And I'm going to invite you today to repeat it uh, with me as we did uh, last week. Would you share this uh, with me? I may not need this today, but I will need this someday. One more time. I may not need this today 
but I will need this someday. And so the invitation I offered to you last week, I'm going to share with you again, is wherever you are in your life right now, I want to invite you to do your future self a favor. Because some of what we're going to share as we look at the book of Habakkuk and we talk about what does it mean to have faith in the midst of hard times is something that one day you're going to need. There, there's, a, there's a nugget in here. There is something in here for you for that hard time that may be down the road. You don't see it now. It's, it's a curveball that life's going to throw at you. It's something that you, never, you would never have expected might happen to you in your life. But when you find yourself at that place, you may need something that we talk about in this series. And so I want you to lock down. I want you to take some notes. I want you to, uh, to dive in, especially if you're at that place in life where you think, hey, everything's good, and I don't need this right now. There may be a day... That you do. Last week we talked about faith and what does faith really mean uh, in, in a hard time. And I gave each of you a rubber band to, to illustrate the idea that faith and love are both like a muscle that has the capacity to grow, but only when they are stretched beyond their current capacity. And so in the same way that love grows through challenge and difficulty, so does faith grow. And so those hard times that we walk through, rather than seeing them as something that is adversarial to our faith, we should see them as avenues through which our faith might grow. Because when we are stretched is when we grow. And so in those hard times that you've had, and maybe some of you can look back on your own life and you can see this happen. You can see this truth that the hard times that you've walked through have actually strengthened your love. They have strengthened your faith because you have been stretched. And so last week we looked at the very beginning of Habakkuk chapter 1 and we looked at how Habakkuk gave voice to how he was being stretched in his life during the difficult time that he was living through. So if you missed that, a little bit of context, a little bit of history, it won't hurt too bad, okay? Habakkuk lived in the 7th century BC. And you know if you go BC, the numbers go the opposite way, right? Okay? So 8th century BC, which was before the time of Habakkuk, the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen to the Assyrians. Now prior to that, the kingdom of Israel had divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom fell in the 8th century BC. 7th century BC, Habakkuk was living in the south, and Habakkuk was living at a time where the inhabitants of the south were worried that what happened to their northern neighbors might happen to them as well. In other words, that a foreign power would come in and conquer their kingdom. And on top of that, Habakkuk had the additional worry, the people in the south had the additional concern that the leadership of the southern kingdom was corrupt. They were serving the powerful at the expense of the powerless. And so not only did they see these external threats, what if the Assyrians continue to come south? What if another foreign power comes in and invades us? They also had this sense of disillusionment with their own leadership and their own government. Because they weren't serving the needs of the people, they were serving the needs of the powerful. And out of this situation, Habakkuk cries out to God. And he cries out to God essentially saying this, God, things are going really bad. If for some reason you're up there taking a nap, I just want you to know things are not good down here. And everyone, everyone, everyone is worried that things are going to get worse. And that's essentially what Habakkuk says in the first couple of verses that we read last week. Things are bad, and we're worried that things are going to get worse. And so what I want to read to you to start out today is I want to read you Habakkuk's, uh, I'm sorry, God's response to Habakkuk. And then as we hear Habakkuk interacting with God, what you're going to hear 
what I'm going to suggest you're going to hear is the most difficult question that we ask when we're walking through, through a very hard time in our life. The most significant question that we ask or that a loved one may ask of you when they are walking through a hard time in their life. But first, let's, let's hear what God says in response to Habakkuk's prayer. God says this, beginning with verse 5. He says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now, so far, this sounds pretty good, right? Okay, that's cool. God's going to do something cool. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. Now remember what I just told you. Habakkuk calls out to God out of his worry and his fear. God, things are bad, and we are really afraid that things are going to get worse. And how does God respond? God essentially says, I am here to affirm your worry and your concern. Because <laughs> things are bad, and unfortunately, they are going to get worse. It's not the Assyrians, the ones who took over the north. It's the Babylonians. And by the way, they're coming your way. And by the way, they are exactly who you think they are. They are a ruthless and impetuous people. I don't even know what that word means, but it sounds bad. They are a feared and dreaded people. And God says to Habakkuk, I, I got bad news for you. I'm sorry. They are coming your way. And everything that you've heard about them, everything that worries you about what they might do to you, yeah, that's kind of who they are. They're on their way, and that's what I got for you. Now, have you ever asked a question or prayed a prayer that you thought, why did I even ask that? Like, I didn't even want to know that. Like, that's just bad news. And Can you imagine how Habakkuk feels right now? Like, well, I was asking for help. That's not helpful at all. What am I supposed to do with that? And so listen to how Habakkuk responds to God and listen for the question. The significant, difficult question we all ask during, during hard times. Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why then? Do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, during your hard time that you may have walked through, you are maybe going through right now or maybe coming down the road, you may not verbalize the question in exactly the same way that Habakkuk has here in verse 13. So let me generalize it and let me paraphrase it for you in this way. The question is this. If God is good... Why does God allow bad things to happen? If God is good, why does God allow bad things to happen? And again, if you're going through a time in your life right now where everything's just great and wonderful, that is an abstract question for you. That is a 
hmm, let me think about that. What does that mean? But if you're knee deep in pain and suffering, if you've just been hit by a ton of bricks, you have run into a wall, you, have, you are experiencing something you never thought you were going to run into, that's not just an abstract question to think about. It's a question that comes from the depth of your soul, right? God, if you are good, and I've been trusting that you are, why? Why? Are you allowing this bad thing to happen? Why am I going through this? Why did he or she respond in this way? Why, why am I dealing with this illness? Why did, why did I lose that loved one? Why am I in the, in the middle of this mess? If you are really good, and I've tried to be good too, God, then why are you allowing this bad thing to happen to me in my life? Do you have an answer to that question? Or think about it this way. If your best friend called you tonight with news that you never expected to hear and they never expected to share, and you were over at their house tonight in the middle of the night and they asked you that question, what would you say? How would you respond to that, that pain and that suffering? As a pastor, I've had lots of conversations like that of people going through hard and difficult times in their life and, and asking, why? Why did God allow this, this bad thing to happen? And so I want to share with you a little bit of what I often share in those kinds of conversations. I'm going to start with somewhat of an abstract answer, uh, a way of thinking about it, but we're going to get to how do you really respond to people who are just crying out and, and suffering and pain. So let me begin in this way. I believe that God gives to all of us three significant gifts. God gives us the gift of life, God gives us the gift of love, and God gives us the gift of choice. Let's start with life, that God gives us life, that all of life, what I would say is that all of life originates in God. It comes from God. When you look at Genesis 1, Genesis 1 talks about God bringing the world into being and everything that has been created, uh, everything that has life has been given that gift from God. That means that right now, this moment that you are living in, as you breathe in and as you breathe out, that is a gift of God. That's what I believe. Every single moment is a gift of God, and, and, and every single moment because of that is a moment where we can say, thank you, God. You have given me again the gift of life. I woke up this morning. I have a new day to do what I want with, and that is a gift from God. The second thing that God gives is God gives the gift of love because God is love. This is what I talked with the students about on Thursday night when we were, we were talking about why at the end of a week where they really did everything that wasn't about them. They, many of them were, were sweating out in the sun. They, they slept on the floor. They did things that they didn't do the week before, intentionally sacrificing and serving. Why did they actually enjoy that? And we talked about because they connected with the heart of God. When you serve and you sacrifice and you give, the reason that there is something, you feel like something's coming alive in you is because something is in fact coming alive in you. You are connecting with the heart of God because God is love and God gives to all of us the gift of love. But God also gives the third gift, the gift of choice. And at the heart of every single choice that we make is how we respond to the first two gifts that God gives, the gift of life and the gift of love. In other words, you woke up this day and you had a choice of how you were going to spend this day. 
Every single day you wake up with that choice. How will I spend the gift of life that God has given me? You can spend that in a life that at the end of it has significance and meaning and value where you invest yourselves in things that will outlive you and your days. You can spend your life in tremendous and amazing ways or you can spend your life laying on the couch and watching Netflix all day. That's what you can do. It's your choice. You've been given the gift, but you get to decide what you do with that. That must have hit home for some people. I don't know whether, there wasn't a lot of laughter there. God gives you the gift of love. God gives you the gift of love, and you get to decide what you do with that in the same way that we get to decide what we do with the gift of love that others give to us. I give my children the gift of my love, but they get to decide what they do with that, right? They get to decide how they respond to that. We all are given that gift of choice to respond to those gifts. And because God gives these three gifts, God gives life, God gives love, and God gives choice, particularly the choice of how we will respond to these first two gifts, what that means is that every single day there are things that happen in our world and in our lives that were not as God intended them to be. Because we have the choice we get to choose how we will respond to those first two gifts. And no gift of God is more generous. No gift of God is more loving. No gift of God is more courageous than to give us the opportunity to choose to do the very things that would break the heart of God. But you have that choice every single day. And I have that choice every single day, every single moment of our life. We can either choose life, things that lead to life, or we can choose death. We can choose things that lead to death. We can choose words that bless. And we can choose words that curse. And for those who have received a blessing, you know what it means to receive a word of life. For those who have received a curse, you know what it means to receive a word that leads to death. We get to choose. We get to choose how we will live our life. And because of that, there are things that happen every single day that were not as God intended them to be. Here's another way of saying this, that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And in a broken world, there are things that happen every single day that were not as God intended them to be. And sometimes it starts with just this. It starts with a choice. It starts with a choice that we make that causes harm to us or sometimes what is even more painful are the choices that we make and what we see happen is that the person who bears the weight of that harm is not ourselves, but it's someone that we love. It's someone that we never intended to harm, but in an unintentional way because of a decision that we made, somebody else, somebody else had to bear the weight of that pain and that suffering. And that happens every single day, every single day in our world. People make decisions that lead to harm, poor choices that harm themselves and harm those that they love because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. Look at how God responds to Habakkuk. If you turn over to chapter 2, verse 4, God responds saying, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In other words, God affirms, you're right, Habakkuk. 
These guys are not making good choices. They're, they're making poor choices, and they are not working for good. They are working for evil. I agree with you. I understand. But the righteous person lives by faith. Let me jump back to chapter 1 just for a second, because I want to tell you from this way of understanding about life and love and choice, how do I interpret chapter 1, particularly verse 6, where it says, I am raising up the Babylonians. Here's one way you can think about that. You can think about God as a grand puppeteer who has reached down and picked up the Babylonians and is about to drop them on the head of Habakkuk. And God says, watch out down there, here they come. You can think of God that way. And you can interpret verse 6 to mean that. Or you can interpret verse 6 in this way. This is how I would interpret it. It's God's way of saying, Habakkuk, I have given you the gift of life, the gift of love, and the gift of choice. And all of Israel was given that gift. And Israel made the choice to divide into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the leadership of the southern kingdom made a choice to act in a way that wasn't in the best interest of all the people, but in the best interest of a select few of the people. And because of these choices, you not only weakened yourself militarily, you also weakened yourself in terms of how you understood one another in your culture, in your society. People became disillusioned. They walked away from me and my law. And, and, and Habakkuk, what I want you to understand is that in giving you the gift of choice, part of what I've also given you is that you're responsible for the decisions that you make and the consequences that you bear because of those things. And so Habakkuk, I got bad news. They're coming because of poor choices that Israel has made and poor choices that the Babylonians have made. And when Habakkuk says back to God, but God, don't you understand what that means? Don't you understand that because of this, people who never intended to harm others are going to be harmed? Here's how I think God responds to that. Same way he does for you and I when this happens in our life. I think God says, I know, and that breaks my heart. But I gave you the gift of life, I gave you the gift of love, and I gave you the gift of choice. And you get to choose. You get to choose how you respond to the gift of life and to the gift of love. But what about those moments, David? What about those moments where there there isn't someone's choice involved? You look at the situation and you can't figure out, well, how how did this happen? That's where I want to go back to chapter 2, verse 4. I got ahead of myself. God says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In other words, the righteous person does not live by the world responding as he or she may want it to. The righteous person lives by faith, which means that they live by faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to live by faith? Hebrews 11.1 says it this way. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And I will tell you that that is really encouraging to me. Because there are things that I see and there are conversations that I'm a part of and there are situations that people walk through that come and share those that I don't understand. I just don't understand. I think sometimes people come to the pastor because they think there's like this answer book that we keep locked up in a closet, you know, and well, hold on one second, let me consult my notes, you know, and we can just go back there and check the code book and oh, here's your answer from God. That's not how it works. We got the same thing you got. And so there are things that I see in the world that I just don't understand. 
Some of our kids work this week at the Ronald McDonald House. You may not know what that is. That's a home that is available for families whose children are undergoing treatment. It's kids who are fighting for their lives because the diseases that they have, leukemia or cancer or things that when you hear about them and you see them, you think, I don't understand why an eight-year-old is getting chemotherapy. I don't understand why this 12-year-old is, is dealing with leukemia. I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an explanation for that. I, I can't look at that and find deeper meaning. I, I just look at that and I go, the world is broken. That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why this couple that I love and they love others and they're a blessing and they want nothing more than to bless the world by bringing a child in the world. I don't understand why they have problems with that. I don't understand why that, that mother lost her baby and had that miscarriage. And this other family over here has no trouble at all. I don't understand that. I don't know what to say to the, to the woman who comes home and, 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 and finds that her husband has just left her with no explanation, with no, with, with no real understanding of what went wrong. I, there's no answers there. And I understand what we want to do. I understand that we want to find meaning for that. And sometimes we find ourselves saying things like, well, maybe God just has a plan there that we do not know. And maybe sometimes that's true. But maybe sometimes the reason is simply this, that we live in a broken world. And in a broken world, there are things that happen every single day that we're not as God intended them to be. And there are, there are answers that we long for that we, that we don't get. I don't understand why that little girl who was going through cancer treatment, who was surrounded by hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who were praying for her, I don't understand why she died. And I didn't know what to say when the family said, will you come and do the funeral? Outside of this, I believe that the things that break our hearts are the same things that break the heart of God. And so when you find yourself in a place of suffering and pain and you don't know where to turn and you don't understand, the invitation, the only invitation that I could offer was for them to see that Jesus is right here with you. And as you grieve and as you suffer, so does he grieve and so does he suffer. And there is a God who knows your pain. There is a God who knows your suffering, who has committed to walk with you through whatever situation and circumstance you face in your life. Here's how Jesus said it. This is John 16, verse 33. This is the end of the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. This is after he had spent a great amount of time teaching them and preparing them for what was going to come next. And don't forget what was going to come next. Jesus was about to be arrested, and he was about to be brutally killed. And this is what he says to them at the end of it. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Jesus said, I have come, I have told you these things, I have done everything that I have done so that in me, not in you, not in your situation, not in your circumstance, not in your wealth, not in your health, not in what, everything going the way that you want it to, but in me you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble this world is not as i intended it to be it's broken 
but take heart. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up because I have overcome this world. The worst thing in life is never the last thing in life because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And so when I find myself at that place where I don't understand, where there is no explanation, where I can't seem to find meaning, there is only pain and suffering and grief, John 16, 33. In this world, we're going to have trouble. We are going to have trouble. We are going to have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome this world. So here's what I want to challenge you to do at the end of this message. If you're at a time in your life where things are just going great and wonderful, memorize John 16, 33. Because there's going to be a day you need it. There's going to be a day that you wake up and you go, wait, God, you're supposed to make everything great. And you need to remember that Jesus said, no, 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 no. In this world, you will have trouble. And I have come that in me, you may have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And if you're there right now, if you're there right now and you look at your situation, your circumstance, maybe you can see a decision that was made by you or someone that you know, someone that you love, or someone else who just may be distant from you. You can see the choice that was made and you can see the pain that was caused. Or maybe you look and you see nothing. There's no explanation for the hurt and the pain that you were going through. Here's what I want to invite you to understand. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. We live in a broken world. And in a broken world, things happen all the time that were not as God intended them to be. So hear these words of comfort and grace from Jesus. I have told you these things so that in me, not in anything else, but in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome this world. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, I, I want to pray today for my brothers and my sisters. Especially, Lord, for those who today may be going through a really hard and difficult time. Lord, I know that for some of them, they can look at that situation and they can see perhaps a decision that they made that went in a direction they never intended it to go. And I pray that you would simply comfort them and help them to see that a second chance is available and that healing, though it may take some time, can in fact, come. For those, Lord, who have been hurt by others' decisions, I pray that you would give them grace and that in the course of time, you may plant in them a heart, a seed of faith that would allow them to, to forgive and to move on and to see in that their own opportunity for a second chance, to let go of anger, to let go of, of the desire for vengeance, to, to find peace in you. And especially, Lord, I want to pray for those who can't seem to find any meaning in what they're going through right now. May you simply bless them with your presence, that they may know that you have not abandoned them, you have not forsaken them, and it's not their fault. And that in time, you have the power to bring healing and restoration to all of us. All these things we pray in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus.